why the world is sound asleep and too afraid of what might show up while you're dreaming. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. And every day you try to pick up all the pieces, all the memories they somehow never leave you. Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you. Nobody, nobody will believe you. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. But God only knows the real you. There's a kind of love that God only knows. There's a kind of love. You keep a cover over every single secret. So afraid if someone saw them, they would leave. Somebody, somebody, somebody sees you. Somebody, somebody will never leave you. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. Understood and the ones to blame. What if we could start over? We could start over. We could start over. Just can't. 
There's a part that you hold that you lock down. Let it breathe, give it wings, set it free now. Time to make your mark. Break the prison bars, show them who you are. Well, good morning, church. And good to see everybody this morning. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful day. This beautiful day. We thank the Lord. It's all good. But it's beautiful because all of you are beautiful and we're in this beautiful place together. And uh, we get to worship the Lord and God together. And so in just a minute, I'm going to uh, read from the scriptures as our call to worship. But just wanted to uh, just thank you all for choosing to to join us here and to worship the Lord. Um, just as a reminder, you know, at Trinity, we have these three words that are important to us. You hear me say it often, uh, but that is learn, grow, and serve. And I, I often um, will mention that because it is our uh, core values, that we learn the truth, we grow in faith, and then we serve, and we serve one another. And that's actually a big part of what we're going to be discussing today and in a few minutes as we open the Word of God together and what that looks like to serve, because there's really an important part of service that needs to be discussed as we continue on our journey through the discipleship pathway. But we learn together, we grow together, and we serve, and we serve together, but we serve one another and uh, that's, that is a vital part of being part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus. And so I want to keep that in mind this morning. But, you know, uh, as I'm, uh, I'm reading, I wanted to, um, to just remind you that as I read from this passage in Lamentations, you know, we can find, uh, we can find promising passages of Scripture that give us the promises of God and the encouraging words from God himself to help us in any of life's situations. And so no matter what kind of week you've had or what kind of morning you've had, I trust that the Lord will meet you right where you are. Because we're all different, we look different, we act different, but yet we have the same calling, the same God, and we are called to worship him. Our worship is very simply our response to God. And so I'd like to read to you from Lamentations chapter three. And in this passage, the writer talks about his afflictions and his wanderings, but he remembers the hope that he can have in the Lord. So church, remember we are people of hope. And no matter what's going on in our lives, the world around us, we have gathered here because we are hopeful, because we need to be reminded of that hope. And perhaps the Lord has impressed upon you already before even walking into this room the hope that you have in Jesus, but maybe you need to share that hope with somebody else. But here's what the Word of God tells us. 
Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, because my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. This is somebody who is conflicted and burdened. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You notice that twice he says hope. Because of his great affliction and wanderings away from God, he has, fe- he has felt hopeless, but then he remembers, he calls to mind God's great faithfulness. So he says, because this I call to mind, I therefore can have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And he ends by saying, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You have hope in him this morning. Would you stand? Because I'm going to pray us into a time of worship. We're going to sing a new song together. Perhaps it's not new to you. Perhaps you've heard it before. It's new for our church as a part of our corporate worship. If you don't know it, just listen. You'll, you'll catch on quickly. It's called Hymn for the Ages. And it reminds us that God is great and God is faithful and that his mercies are new every morning. May his mercies be new for us this morning, that we may hope in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, this special time. We thank you for your word that calls us into a time of hopeful worship, of hope-filled response to your goodness and your great faithfulness. God, we sing to you now, joining our voices together, raising holy hands, standing sometimes even silent, listening to those around us, but enjoying being in your presence. God, may this time of worship together, may it inspire us, may it encourage us in our journey with you, but most importantly, may it bless and honor and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, let's worship him together. Faithful you have been, Jesus. Precious Lord Jesus.
straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sin, wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Yes, Jesus is coming soon. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we can sing these songs, Lord, especially 
when we are reminded that you are coming back soon. Yes, Lord, we repeat those words. We claim those words of Scripture, Lord, even so, Lord. Even so, in the midst and light of all that's happening, Lord, just come. Return, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day to see you face to face. But until then, Lord, we want to be a church like a bride waiting for its groom, ready for you to return, ready for you. And God, thank you. Thank you that you promised to come back for us, but until then, Lord, may we be found. May we be found be, being ready and waiting, doing what you've called us to do. And Father God, we look forward to that day oh, Jesus. But until then, we proclaim the name of Jesus and we sing praises to him. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Say good morning to somebody next to you in that name, that name of Jesus. For the lost control, no one knows. Sing it for the can't go back. Sing it for the broken past. Sing it for the just found out life is now upside down. If you're looking for hope tonight, raise your hand. Praise the Lord for good worship and good fellowship. Uh, if you can make your way back to your seats. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> As you find your way back to your seats and, um, and our children make their way down the hall, uh, make sure that um, you had one of these. If you were not handed one of these or if you didn't grab one on the way in, raise your hand. One will be given to you. Anybody have a card? We have a card for this morning. There's a few over here that need one. Thank you. Appreciate that, Kim. Every, uh, every Sunday as we go through the discipleship pathway, um, as our uh, journey through the following Jesus and what that looks like, uh, we're handing out one of these cards. There's a card for every one of the, the 12 areas of the life of a disciple that we are going through in our uh, series and so um, we're handing out these cards. And of course, you can use these um, to, uh, to take notes. There's a place on the back to take notes as a reference. Keep them in your Bibles. Um, there's one for each of the 12 steps of discipleship on our pathway. Uh, but these are helpful, just good helpful reminders. It has the scripture on it. And also remember that um, there's more information than this uh, on our website. And there's a page for each of these and a a more detailed description of the discipleship pathway. 
So uh, that's a resource that you want to make sure that you avail yourselves of. That is on uh, our website, trinityallenwood.com. So it's got all the information about what the discipleship pathway is, how we intend to use it, and uh, it just uh, helps us to further use this as a tool in uh, keeping each other accountable and helping each other along the way of following Jesus together until, as we were singing, until he returns for us, right? So again, yes, praise the Lord, we look forward to that day, but until then we wanna be found being his uh, disciples, growing followers of Jesus. And so our discipleship pathway is a tool that we launched just back at the end of September that will help us to do that. And so we're taking this fall season to go through each of the 12 steps, unpacking that together, and then going forward into the new year, we will be able to use this as an important tool that will be a, a big part, an integral part of who we are here at Trinity. As we have our core values that remain the same of learn, grow, and serve, this is a great tool that we will use, a foundational tool that will help us to do that together to learn the truth, to grow in faith, and to serve one another. And so uh, as we continue on, may we uh, uh, continue to, to make use of all these resources in print form and also on our website. So just a few uh, items to get caught up on what we call church life, just to, to make sure that we're sort of on the same page about things that are going on and things that will be coming up in the future. Um, today is the last day that you can sign up to be part of our Angel Tree Project. It's something that we do this time every year where you uh, um, participate in helping one of our uh, missionary partners uh, in um, uh, bringing um, uh, toys to children whose uh, parents, one or both parents, are incarcerated. And we've been doing this for many years through our, our Father's Persistent Love Ministries you know, with Debbie Carver and um, so we've been announcing this for a while, but today is the last day. And so we've had many people sign up already, which is wonderful. Um, but if you would like to get in on that and you've been thinking about it, today is that last day. So you would need to see Angela, uh, on, uh, after service. All right. So make sure you do that before you leave that you would see Angela who heads that up, uh, for us. If you are interested and she will give you all the information, but Today is the last day to become a part of that ministry. Also remember our coat drive as we collect a new or gently used coats. Our bin is out there uh, for, uh, for you to drop them off during the week or on Sundays. And so, of course, that is for another of our missionary partners, the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. As you can see, we really value being um, an active uh, part of our uh, missions, you know, that uh, we don't just send money, which is really important because we need to financially support our missions partners globally and locally, but we want to participate and, uh, and help and support in any way that we can. And so for the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission in uh, Asbury Park, we are this season collecting coats, and uh, so we continue to do that. But on November 19th, the Saturday coming up, uh, that uh, you would, actually, I guess that's next Saturday, that if you're interested in signing up to actually volunteer to help that day, you can see either Andrew or Elizabeth, and they'll uh, see if there's some spots open and uh, get you set up with that. But in the meantime, continue to bring in the coats, and I believe that we're also going to continue to collect them throughout the rest of the season. So if you can't bring one in uh, before uh, well, throughout the rest of this week, then continue to do that because we're going to bring them down to Delaware right after the new year in our missions trip down there. We've done that for the, for the past few years as well. So continue to donate. We appreciate everybody that's done that so far. 
Um, also coming up, of course, in a, in a couple of weeks is Thanksgiving, and so we will have our um, our traditional Wednesday night, the Thanksgiving Eve service, and so um, that will be here, and we're going to do that at 6.30. Our Wednesday evening service meets at 6.30, and so we're going to kind of keep that as part of our schedule. So Thanksgiving Eve service will be that night before Thanksgiving uh, at 6.30 here, and that is a wonderful time of just mostly testimony. We'll have some some worship and, and a brief message from the Word of the Lord, but most of our time together will be testimony, which is simply you taking the opportunity, anybody that comes that wants to share, you can just you'll stand up right where you are and just share a word or two about what the Lord has been doing in your life and what this past year has looked like, looked like giving him praise. And so that's the whole key is giving words of thanksgiving to our God for that hope, as we read earlier from Ecclesiastes, that hope uh, in God's um, faithfulness, his great, great faithfulness. And so make it a point to do that. And then if you can stick around after that Thanksgiving Eve service, uh, we will just have a, a time of some coffee and some pie to get ourselves ready for the next day. And so uh, please um, uh, make a note of that to come and join us on Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, if you notice, if you've been looking at your calendars, um, Christmas Day is actually on a Sunday this year, and so we will have our Christmas Eve service as we do, our candlelight Christmas Eve service, which is wonderful. That, of course, is the night before, so that'll be that Saturday night, our Christmas Eve service. You'll be seeing more about our, our theme and, and uh, what to expect and how to invite others to our traditional candlelight Christmas Eve service, but we will not have a Sunday morning service on the 25th, being that that is Christmas Day. So our service, our gathering for that weekend will be that Saturday night, our Christmas Eve candlelight service, okay? And you'll get some more reminders about that, but just as you plan out the rest of your uh, year and your calendar, make a note of that. And uh, just one last thing about that, of course, Christmas coming up soon, like whenever you see Thanksgiving coming, you know that Christmas is also right around the corner, right? And uh, uh, the, you go into any store, and uh, they will make that very clear to you, right? Um, but our annual um, women's ministries Christmas party is scheduled for December 2nd. I believe that's a Friday, right? It's a Friday evening, and uh, it's at 7 p.m., and so if you have any questions, you can see one of the the ladies that are uh, in charge of our women's ministry, and uh, Sally or um, uh, any other ladies in charge. And so uh, if you have any questions, you can see any of the leadership about that. But you'll be getting uh, more information. Of course, it's on our website. And so uh, we want to, all the women to be able to participate in doing that. And uh, there'll be some details about what that looks like. And so, uh, ladies, if you're interested, it's December 2nd, Friday evening, December 2nd at 7 p.m., and if you're interested, make sure you put that on your calendar and then uh, look for some more details, all right? Uh, and then finally, before we open God's word together, um, Friday was Veterans Day. Many of you, maybe you had off of work and maybe you did something special. You were involved in a, a special event or a, a parade. Uh, my dad, who is at the New Jersey uh, Fireman's Home, uh, they had a, a special event yesterday for all the firefighters who have served in the military, and it was beautiful. And my dad was a proud a part of the, Na the Army National Guard. And so, of course, we wanted to make sure that we uh, recognize and pray for 
all of our veterans. Unlike Memorial Day, where we specifically um, just, you know, remember those who have fallen, on Veterans Day, we think about and remember and honor all of those who served, all the men and women who served in all branches of our military um, throughout the history history of our great country. And so I'm going to ask, actually, if anyone is here that is a veteran of any branch of the military, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you are? Thank you. Would you, you know what? Um, thank you. Would you be willing to stand? Man, would you stand, please? I would appreciate that. Yeah, I know, of course, you don't do it for that. But if you guys can look around, and let's just give them a round of applause. We thank you. You can stay standing. Please, um, yeah, that's fine. We thank you for your dedication, for your service. And I would ask, I'm going to pray for, for them and for all of our veterans now. But um, after service, if you would uh, be willing uh, to see one of them, if you would just see Tom Hank or if you get to see Fred in the back and just thank them, shake their hand and thank them for their, their service to our country um, and hopefully you had the opportunity uh, to do that sometime on, especially on Friday or this weekend, to thank a veteran for their commitment uh, and for their sacrifice, because we understand that we have many great freedoms in this country, and it's so easy, of course, just in human nature, to take them for granted. So it's important that uh, we remember that all the time, but we set aside a day like Veterans Day to remember uh, those who have served. So if you would, just pray along with me uh, as we pray for our veterans here and uh, throughout our country. Our Father in heaven, you are wise and you are strong, and great is your faithfulness. This morning, we pray for those who have in their sacrificial service to our country, given of their time and of their strength and of their courage to benefit each and every one of us. We ask for your covering, for your blessing over them, and of course, for their loved ones. We pray that you would be gracious and bless them with your peace. We pray for your great favor and goodness to be evident in their lives each and every day. And as we honor the brave women and men of our military, past and present, we acknowledge that their service enables us to walk as free people into this nation of ours. So we ask that you abundantly bless those who have served. And may they know the rewards of their service and always realize how much their commitment is so humbly appreciated, even if it is not expressed. We pray for our future veterans, those who are currently serving. We ask that you bless them with your protection, your strength, and your peace. We ask that you abundantly provide for all of their needs and graciously protect their families. Lord Jesus, you bless us with words of comfort. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, bring this gift now to all veterans, especially our wounded warriors. Bless them with a peace of mind beyond the peace that they fought to secure. 
the joy of a life touched by your strong hand and bless them with rest for their body and soul, the kind of rest that only you can provide. Help all of our veterans to walk wisely, to stay united and strong, to remain determined and unwavering in their love and support of country and us. Father, bless our nation. Thank you for our freedoms. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Make sure that you, whenever you get that blessed opportunity, to thank a veteran for their service. Think back to when you were in school. When you were in school, maybe in grade school, middle school, high school, think way back. Some of you think way, way back. You remember those days. Some of you are like, I think I went to school. I remember that. And some of you say, yeah, I remember going to school, walking uphill both ways in the snow, all that. But just think about the teachers that you had. I I would venture to say that each and every one of us, if we had the time, we could share two stories, one about the worst teacher we ever had, and I'm sure you can remember that teacher's name. But we could also, I'm sure, all share stories of our favorite teacher, the teacher that just for some reason stood out to us, the one who who gave maybe more attention and time, who was so clear, really cared about their profession and saw it more as a calling than just a job, that teacher that went out of their way to spend extra time with you, that teacher who saw potential in you. Perhaps that teacher that got to see you every Saturday morning for detention. That teacher who didn't give up on you. Some of you are teachers yourselves, but yet you had a time in your life when you were poured into, when you were invested in by a teacher. Think back to who your favorite teacher was. Some of you are still fixated on that worst teacher. Let's move on from that person and think about the teacher that you remember most. You remember their name, what they looked like, their voice, the special things that they did. I had many teachers that I, that I loved, that I appreciated, that I, would, that I could think about, that really invested in me, but there's one in particular that my mind goes back to when I think about that, and her name was A.J. Sabag, and she was my first grade teacher. Sometimes it's those teachers in the first few grades, those first few years of life, that seem to have the the biggest influence on us. As we're just starting out, right, in this idea of going to school and you're carrying your backpack and you have your books and you got your lunch pail and all of that and, and you're on this journey, this brand new journey to learn, a lifetime of learning. Miss Sabag was influential in my life. She was my first grade teacher at Jefferson Elementary School. And I remember her for many reasons, and I want to share just for a minute why. Miss Abag taught for many decades. She was one of those teachers who was in it for the long haul. She stayed around and certainly built a legacy. Generation after generation would send their kids to school and just hope and pray that their kids would get Miss Abag. We had that great blessing 
We had that great blessing of having some of our kids have Miss A.J. Sabag as their teacher as well. Same school, same grade. And how thankful we were because she was committed. She was committed to teaching and training the next generation. And of course, as a first grade teacher, you're teaching kids fundamentals, how to read and write, the fundamentals of math and science and how the world works. Mrs. Sabag was building a legacy year after year, class after class, but it was certainly not just a job to her. It was a calling. She didn't just disseminate facts, but she taught us how to learn and the love of learning. And not only that, of course, it's important to learn all of the truth and the facts, but then how to apply it, but also lived by example and lived it out when you would see her interact with the other teachers and that you would see that her integrity would come through as she would talk to other students and you would see year after year and then as we got to send our kids there and you you got to meet up with kids that were in your class and you talk about the memories of Miss Sabag as your first grade teacher that they all kind of had the same memories because she was consistent in what she was doing. She led by example. But you see, Miss Sabag was more special to me than just being my first grade teacher and the most influential teacher in school. She became a close family friend. You see, Miss Sabag, early on, Maybe it was right after I had her in class, she moved to the house across the street from us, which is right down the, the, the street from the school. So her and her husband moved across the street. They didn't have any kids of their own. And so in many ways, me and a couple of my neighbors who are around the same age, we became kind of like their children. So I not only knew her as a teacher, but as a family friend. And her and my mom got close and they would share recipes and stories, and Miss Sabag would, would ask if I wanted to, uh, to mow her lawn and would pay me some money to do that, and I had opportunities. See, she went out of her way not to just teach me in school, but continue with integrity to invest in my life. Gave me opportunities to learn life lessons, even by shoveling her walkway or mowing her lawn and and so over the years, we became close, and we would help each other out as families, and I would see that she would live her life outside the classroom the same way that she did in the class. I saw the way that she interacted with her husband, whom she loved very much and loved to spend time with. As I would spend time over there, mow the lawn, and she would invite me in for a glass of lemonade and talk with her and her husband. When I went off to college, every once in a while, she would send me a $10 bill and say, hey, go buy some McDonald's or some pizza, because that's what college students do. <laughs> she was very sweet that way. And after I graduated college and got married and started a family of my own, she would always keep track of me, and we would take advantage of this amazing thing called Facebook, right? <laughs> where she'd be able to see like how your kids are growing. And every time we go to visit my parents who still lived across the street and they were neighbors for so many decades that we would also take the opportunity to get to visit Miss Sabag. 
just go say hello, and she would always invite us in, ask us how we're doing, check up on us. But you know what? I also remember from those days as well, just being a family friend, that even as I was a grown-up and, and was married and had my own kids, she would still want to be teaching me things. How are you doing in your marriage? How are things with your kids? What are they learning in school? How is your job? She would always be interested in what I was learning, how I was developing and growing as a person. See, her time uh, of uh, more uh, you know, um, intimate and uh, intense investment had passed because I had had her as a teacher and she was an influence of my years through school and she was a neighbor. But even when I moved out of the house and out of the neighborhood to start my own life, she still took an interest. See, it wasn't as close and as directly involved, but yet she was always a part of my life. She continued to encourage and challenge, moving me towards operation, uh, opportunities for growth, teaching, training, encouraging, and challenging one of the things, of course, that she taught me as a first grade student was math. Because when you're in first grade, you're starting to learn the fundamentals of math. And if you're like me, math was not my best subject. And I, I still think I'm still trying to learn some of the fundamentals of math. But I do remember in first grade learning about addition and subtraction and multiplication and division. Do you remember you remember struggling with learning your times tables? I don't even know if that's the way they do math now, but just memorizing those times tables, right? But if you think back to math, whether you were good at it or not, you realize the simple fact that addition is good, but multiplication is better. Multiplication gets you there quicker. You can add things one to another, but multiplication is fascinating, and it's amazing when we can multiply numbers, when we multiply things, and how they grow exponentially. Church, this morning I'm talking about how we help others follow Jesus. You see, Miss Sabag's influence in my life was critical, a big part of, I believe, who I am today in many ways. Even my desire and love of learning and continuing to learn, being a lifelong learner. But see, there's a big difference between what Miss Sabag was doing in my life and what she meant to me than what we are called to do in helping others to follow Jesus and what Jesus calls making disciples. And that, see, Mrs. Sabag wasn't trying to get all of her students to just be like her. But Jesus called disciples to make disciples to be just like him. You know, what does the word Christian mean? Do you ever think about that? Christian? It really means, in the original language, it means to be affiliated with, to be a party of. But in, in other ways, it really means to be like a little Jesus, a little anointed one. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, was the anointed one. So Christians first called that name at the church of Antioch. You can read about that in the book of Acts, chapter 16 and 17. We see that they were first called Christians there. Do you know why? Because all those who were following Jesus were starting to look and act and talk just like Jesus. They were caring about the same things that he did. They were loving the same things he did. And they were starting to teach the same things he did the way that he did. 
See, what's unique about Christian discipleship is that we are called to help others follow Jesus to be able to look and live just like Jesus, not us, but him. Do you see that? A huge distinction. But that is a calling on our lives. And so one of the important steps of being a disciple We have our cards here, and the information is up there just as another reference if you don't have the card, but just as a reminder that we are to help others follow Jesus. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about getting into community. It's one of the other 12 steps, one of the other 12 stepping stones on the journey of um, the pathway of being a disciple. Getting into community is, is, is understanding, if you remember, the, the importance of being part of a larger body, this local body of believers, where you can learn and grow and serve together because we need each other. But see, helping others follow Jesus takes this to a more personal level. See, Jesus had thousands of people that followed him, men and women and children that followed him. And then he had a group of 70 that was a smaller group a community, and then he had a group of 12 disciples, and then he had a group of three, Peter, James, and John, and then he had, of course, John, the beloved, the one that they seemed to have this real connection. Jesus modeled this for us. So we are to get into community, but helping others follow Jesus really is all about making disciples. See, this whole time in this this discipleship pathway, of course, we've been focusing on what does it look like to be a disciple. We have to do that, right, in order to understand what we're talking about. But this morning, our focus hones in on this, making disciples. Who makes the disciples? Is that my job? Is that just the pastors and the teachers that make the disciples? Is it just the church leaders that make disciples? No, it's not. Because Jesus called his followers and said, go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. You see, it's not just about adding, it's about multiplying. Jesus calls us to multiply disciples. It is, and we we often neglect this and forget this and overlook this, church, but it is the call of Jesus, our Lord, on our lives as believers to pick up that mantle, carry that baton, that mission of Jesus Christ, to make disciples as he did. And he says, until I come back, we were just singing about that, until I come back, make disciples. That means multiply. That means as you're learning and growing as a disciple, at the same time, you are investing in pouring into another person, another Christian, helping them to learn and grow and serve to be a disciple. Do you see the process? Because as disciples, we never arrive. You don't graduate. You don't need to go to seminary to learn to be a disciple. The moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation of your sin, your personal sin, when you believe in him and trust in him for that salvation, you are a believer in Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. Now at some point, we're called to make that decision and Jesus says, okay, now do you want to follow me? You want to follow me? What does he say? I've quoted often, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. See, that's the hard work. But see, as we do that, we are to help others do the same thing. 
It's not going to work if we aren't all invested in individual disciple-making relationships. But see, I believe perhaps this might be the most difficult for all of us, the most difficult of all of the stepping stones of being a disciple that we will go through. Helping others follow Jesus. Why is it the most difficult? It seems easy, right? Just talk about God. Because it's intentional. Because you have to sacrifice your time and your comfort to invest in somebody else's life. What does that look like? Do we have the courage to do that? Jesus said in that great commission in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me. He has all the authority to help us do this. And then he commissions us to go and make disciples. And he said, I'll be with you the whole time until I come back, the end of the age, he says. But do you understand, I mean, if nothing else, understand the way this works, church, that we are to multiply. That's how the church grows. And I don't just mean like the numbers here at Trinity. But we're talking about when Jesus said in that great prayer, the disciples' prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're not building his kingdom here. He will come and establish his kingdom. But what we are doing is as we share the gospel and then we help others who are believers to learn and to grow and serve together to become growing followers, disciples of Jesus, what we are doing in a sense is preparing people for that coming kingdom. We are living out here on earth those kingdom principles, being kingdom-minded in that sense here on earth as we await for him to come to bring his kingdom. We don't just wait around doing nothing. So what is our main purpose and calling in discipleship? It's the hard thing. It's getting intentionally involved in other people's lives to teach them what you've been taught to help them grow in ways that you have grown. Now, of course, in any relationship, and we all have reference points for this in our lives, but in any relationship, you learn from each other. The master will learn from the student, of course. It always happens. No one is perfectly knowledgeable in every area of life and can never be taught. Again, we don't arrive. But of course, there is this relationship that Jesus models for us the master and the student, the one who leads and the one who follows. Did you know this is what he is calling us to? Reading from the card and beyond, says Jesus modeled this for us. You do not have to graduate seminary or spend a certain amount of years as a follower of Jesus in order to help other people follow Jesus. Every disciple should be pouring their life into someone else. I'm going to repeat that. Just to let this sink in. Every disciple, as a believer, if you're choosing to follow Jesus, to learn, to grow, and to serve, every disciple should be pouring their life into somebody else. It's like we are conduits. As we receive the Lord's grace, we pour grace out towards others. As we learn more and experience more about the love of our God, we show more love towards others. As we learn more 
about the forgiveness of Jesus for us, then we can teach others how to be forgiving. Every disciple should be pouring their life into someone else. This involves sharing the gospel of grace with others, praying for them and with them, encouraging and challenging them, and walking with them in a purposeful life-on-life relationship that helps them become more like Jesus. So as I continue on in our remaining few minutes together, just think about this. Are you involved in a disciple-making relationship in your life right now? You might say, Pastor Keith, like, I don't feel qualified for that at all. I guarantee you, you are. First of all, as a believer, you've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, next week, we're going to talk all about spiritual gifts, so make sure you're here for that. That we've been given by the Holy Spirit to equip us to do these things. But yes, we are all qualified. If you became a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you're sitting here, you are qualified to lead others. (laughs) You are. You're qualified to lead somebody that became a believer five minutes ago. (laughs) But you have, regardless, something to offer. But see, as you are learning, you are teaching. You see the way that works? As you are learning and growing, you are intentionally helping somebody else to learn and to grow. Creating a formal discipleship atmosphere involves asking someone to spend routine, regular time together doing these simple things. Looking at God's word, praying, working through life situations. Usually, it's just for a certain season. It doesn't mean that you have to ask somebody after church today, hey, I want to disciple you for the next 30 years. Who here is going to sign up for that? Maybe. But it normally works for a season. Even Jesus, we can take this from his example, he spent three and a half years with his disciples. Three and a half years, and then he left them. We know all the reasons why. And he said he'd be coming back. But you know, he said, I'll be with you until the end of the age because you're going to need me and you're going to need the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave them completely. See, even in our intentional discipleship relationships, one-on-one, going through life together with somebody, maybe you're meeting every other week, maybe you're meeting every Saturday morning at the diner for coffee, and you know, yeah, you're, you're talking about life and you're learning together, but you're going through the scriptures and you're talking about certain areas of life and certain parts of theology and doctrine, but you're also talking about your marriages, your relationships, about school and about the problem that you have with your supervisor at work. You're talking about your health issues and what you're doing as the discipler is you are continuing to point them back to Jesus. You see, that's the difference. You want to point them back to Jesus. To be for a certain season. Maybe you say, how about for the next three months? We meet every week. We meet every other week. It's a learning relationship. When the Lord directs you to someone to disciple, because this is something you pray about. You pray that the Lord would lead people into your lives and then you're attuned to the people around you. God, who are you bringing into my life? 
You know, we all meet people in this church and even outside of this church, but especially in our context here, that you have a connection with and you know that there's perhaps some things that you have been through that you can help them with. That could be your starting point. You went through a certain issue. You see them struggling. You say, you know what? I want to help them because of the way the Lord helped me. I have some things that can help you out. And then you see and you go from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that, that, re, that word, those words are there for a reason, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see what Paul is saying? We are given, we are allowed to go through afflictions, but as the Lord leads us through, somebody else pours into us, find a way to pour into somebody else. Helping them, perhaps that's your connection point. The same struggle, maybe it's with depression. Maybe it's with a physical or mental illness. Maybe it's just simply because of your life situation. Maybe you've been a mom for a few years and there's a new mom in church and you could see them struggling or perhaps they're not struggling, but you just want to get to know them and help them because God has taught you so much and brought you through much through so much of being a young mom that you get together and that's the way that relationship starts and you get together one-on-one, discipling that person teaching them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Will you do it perfectly? No, because none of us are perfect. But that's why we rely on the Lord. When Jesus says, all authority is given to me, and then he's sending us out, he says, I'll be with you, and you'll have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us to do it on our own. When the Lord directs you to someone to disciple, Begin by simply inviting them into a friendship that has spiritual growth as the goal. I'm going to say that again. This makes it so easy. When the Lord directs you to someone to disciple, because again, we're multiplying disciples, it's how the Lord Jesus wants the gospel to be spread, right? Begin by simply inviting this person into a friendship, a relationship, that has spiritual growth as the goal, not just for fellowship, to chit-chat and get to know each other, that's important. That's an important part of it. But you have as a goal spiritual growth. This is what we call discipleship transferred, a disciple making a disciple. It's that personal part of the get into community. We follow Jesus' model. So why do we make disciples? Jesus did it. Matthew 4, 19, he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I think we want to follow everything Jesus did, right? Jesus made disciples, he tells us to make disciples. So Jesus did it, he chose the 12, he spoke to the crowds, but he often drew the disciples aside privately, and sometimes just the one, we see all of his interactions with Peter especially, to do what? To teach them the meaning of the parables. He often did that, he taught the parable, but then he said, here, let me kind of instruct you and teach you what this means. That personal one-on-one instruction is what discipleship looks like. And then he sent them out on ministry assignments. Part of discipling somebody else is helping them to have opportunities to grow. 
Why else do we make disciples? Well, Jesus did it. And then Jesus told us to do it. I think those are two really good reasons to do anything in life, isn't it? If Jesus did it and he tells us to do it, I think we should be doing it. In uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we keep coming back to this, and we probably will just about every week that we go through our discipleship pathway. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, we called it. Jesus commissioned to his disciples before he went back to be with the Father. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. So Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. It is how the gospel is spread. Jesus chose to use committed believers, his disciples, to carry the message of salvation to all peoples in all the world. It's one-on-one. That's how it starts. We can preach to thousands, and that's important too. But discipleship doesn't happen in a large group. See, this isn't discipleship. Discipleship is one-on-one. Discipleship is what happens in that relationship where you are then transferring that information that you have. You are then encouraging, and you are then challenging. You are then showing that person you are discipling how to look more, live more like Jesus. How do we do this? In that passage you just read, the key phrase is make disciples. That's the imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. In the original language, make disciples is a command. So here is a command of Jesus, make disciples. So let's just ask that question of ourselves. Jesus commanded us to make disciples. Are we doing that? How do we do it? You ask? Good, I will tell you. Go, baptize, teach. Go, first of all, means to me, be intentional. It's not going to just happen, right? We pray for the Lord to bring people into our lives and make those connections organically, and then we step out in faith and we ask, hey, would you like to get together and, uh, you know, some things I'd like to share with you and like to get to know you better. And, uh, I, you know, I think the goal, I would love to have this goal of being us growing together, but there's some things I'd love to be able to share with you about my journey, right? The goal being spiritual growth. So he says, go. So we're to be intentional, right? That it could happen anywhere, but he says, go and do this. He says baptizing them. Baptizing why? Because when we are baptized, as I've mentioned many times before, it is us publicly declaring the transformation that is already happening. It is us pledging allegiance to the team of Jesus is what it is, right? That we are baptized, it means that we are taking on that label and publicly proclaiming our faith. And that is a big part of making disciples is to help others understand the nature of their baptism, the actual act of being baptized. But then what does that mean that you are declaring your faith? See, that takes a lifetime to actually flesh out and to learn what that really looks like, that we are proclaiming the name of Jesus, that we are Christians, Christ followers. And I believe, as many of you have experienced, That's going to become more and more difficult in our world. And Jesus said that it would. But all the more reason 
that we are to go make disciples by baptizing them, helping them to understand their affiliation with Jesus, their public affiliation, and then teaching. He says teaching them. Do you see that? Part of that one-on-one discipleship is teaching. It is teaching, giving information. It is sitting down with the Word of God, and it's talking about how you experience the Word of God what it looked like for you, what you learned, how you unpacked it, and then you teach that to somebody else. There has to be this teaching aspect. When I was growing up and I was in the first grade with my teacher, Ms. Sabag, that I was telling you about, she didn't just say, good morning, students, let's just hang out and be friends today. She had a plan. She had a curriculum, she had her syllabus, we had our textbooks, and we learned systematically, we learned how to do math, and we learned, most of us learned how to do math, and we learned how to to speak English so goodly, right? We learned how to speak English and all that, and so anyway, there was a plan, and she took us through that plan. That is part of discipleship. You sit down with the Word of God. Maybe you choose a good book, a devotional, something about a, a particular area of theology that you're interested in, part of the study of the Word of God, and you start there, and you go through it together. But you are then, in, you are conferring information, you're transferring information, but with the whole goal of spiritual growth, not just to download and dump information, but the idea is for transformation. So Jesus said, teaching them, but here's the key. He doesn't just say, teach them all that I have commanded you. There's an important word in there. He says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. You see what a world of difference that makes? Jesus said, teach your disciples, the ones that you're discipling, teach them to do what I have told you to do. Teach them to actually obey the things that I've taught you. So yes, teach them but then teach them how to do it. You see, that's an important part of discipleship. So here's what the word of God says. Oh, thank you, I never even noticed that. But now this is how I do. This is how, what it looks like in my life. How about we experience this together? Oh, and as you step out and actually live out this, this verse from the Bible, let me give you some warnings from the other passages of scripture. Let me tell you what I learned by failing in trying to do this. You see what that looks like? in discipling somebody else, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. A couple other verses, and then we're done. Ephesians 4 tells us this. Again, next week, talking more about spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul talks specifically about those who are leading and then teaching in a church. He says, and he gave some, he talks about some spiritual gifts, some, he gave the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, He gave some to be shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'll say that again. Why did he give those, specifically those that are going to be teaching and training? To equip the saints, that's all of us, we're saints, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to do the things that Jesus called us to do. So we all have gifts. In addition to that, we have talents Right, that we are developing those natural God-given talents that we develop over time so that we can equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's all about Jesus. He says, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, we're building, we're not tearing down, we're building, not even by addition, but by multiplication. Building up the body of Christ until what? What's our goal? until we attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, building up of the body with the goal of attaining maturity. Become as mature of a believer, putting our faith and trust in Jesus in more and more areas of our life in deeper and deeper ways until he comes back. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider, so he's talking to Christians, the church, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What a great passage for us today in our church. Let us consider how to do what? Stir each other up. Encourage each other. Be each other's champions, right? Sometimes you need to light a fire into somebody, don't you? Amen. amen. Thank you, brother. I knew I'd get an amen out of one of those, right? Let us consider how to stir one another up. You got to stir that pot sometimes, right? It's just sitting there and maybe not looking so good. You got to stir it up. Let us consider how to stir one another up, encourage each other, challenge each other towards what? Love and good works. Love as Jesus loved. Didn't Jesus say this is how the world will know that we're his, that we're Christians, by the way we love each other? She so says to stir one another up towards two things, love, which is the key to everything, and good works. Learning what that love is of God and then actually living it out. Good works. And he says, we can't neglect getting together. Now, we often talk about that in the, in the context of church, like don't forsake the gathering of the elect. We think about church, and that's probably what it means, mostly the church, the big gathering, but you know what? It doesn't just mean that. The gathering of the elect could also mean one-on-one. -on -one. Don't stop getting together, individually, one-on-one -on -one disciple-making, and as a large church, because we need each other. And he said, even back then, some are in the habit of doing that. Don't stop getting together in personal relationships, but also corporately as the church body together. But instead of neglecting that, he says, encourage each other. So stir each other up, encourage each other, and he said, do it all the more as you see that day approaching, the day of the Lord's return. So as we look, as Jesus said, he said to the Pharisees, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you can read the signs of the seasons and know what the weather's gonna be, but you didn't know that I was coming? There were so many scriptures in the Old Testament which they knew by heart that talked about the Messiah's coming. And he says, you could read the weather and you pride yourselves on that, but you didn't know that I was coming, that I'm the one? And all these prophecies I'm fulfilling and that I'm about to fulfill, you didn't notice? You didn't recognize it was me? So he tells us we can see the signs of the times. We can see the trends in our world trending towards the return of Jesus. We don't know when. We don't know if it's tomorrow or another 100, 300, 500 years from now. We don't know that. Only God knows that. Only God the Father knows that. But at the same time, we can see the day drawing near, it says. We can see it happening. So all the more reason, especially because we don't know when it is, that we are to keep doing what? Encouraging each other, challenging each other, stirring up one another. 
getting together, and from the other passages that I read, baptizing, right? Encouraging each other to take that public stand, teaching them the things of God's word, opening the word of God together and looking at what it says, learning it, memorizing it. Second Corinthians talks about comforting, comforting each other when you're struggling, equipping each other, building each other up, stirring each other up sometimes, encouraging each other. It is what we are called to do. Church, would you stand with me? I want to end by just reading this, this one last verse from 1 Corinthians, the end of chapter 10, the beginning of verse 11. You know, my teacher, <clears throat> Mr. Bag, did an amazing job of teaching us so much through the books that we learn, so many facts, so many ideas, so many important information. But then also, how to be a person, how to live, how to be a person of integrity. But she wasn't trying to make us be and act just like her, to be carbon copies of her. But see, Jesus sends out his disciples to be like him, for our hearts to break for the things that break his. There's people in this church that are hurting. I know it because I talk to them. There's also people in this church that have gone through similar situations that perhaps are just coming out of that, who have been through that. Pray that the Lord can connect you. Pray that you find each other. But ask me. Maybe I can help to make that connection. And why? Why is that so important? But Paul said in Corinthians and elsewhere that God has allowed us to go through things to learn what we have learned, to be where we are on our journey so that we can help others. The same comfort he's given us, but to point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus, not to become like us, but to become like Jesus. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even, this is Paul, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Think of others, and then what does he say? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Get into a discipleship relationship with someone. Be intentional about it. Pray for that opportunity and what that would look like. Find that connection point, but realize you have so much to offer, but the most important thing you're gonna offer is that you don't want them to become just like you. You want to become just like Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. See, Jesus called his disciples, said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But then he calls us out to be disciples of his, that we would become more and more like our master, the Lord Jesus. Father God, help us to, um, to take on this challenge. Father God, help us to realize that we certainly can't do it in our own strength, that we need you that you are with us even to the end of the age. You've given us your spirit to guide us, to direct us, to bring us back to the scriptures that we have memorized so long ago. Lord, we thank you that we are empowered by you to make disciples. God, may we take your commission seriously. May we pray, Lord, may we pray for those opportunities. Pray for that person or those couple of people, Lord, that 
that we can invest in, that we can help to grow, Lord God. We know that we will benefit from it, but Lord, help us to do what you have called us to do, to be a growing disciple who is making other growing disciples. Lord, we know that it's your plan for this world. It's your plan for hope to spread. It's your plan for the grace of the gospel of Jesus to spread throughout this world. Lord, I'm reminded of your, 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 faithful, your faithful followers you read about in the book of Acts who were causing so much trouble because they were simply just spreading the gospel. And they were called the troublemakers, the ones who were turning the world upside down. Lord, use us to turn this world upside down that people would see you, Jesus, not us, but they would see right through us to you, the one that we're pointing to. God, give us the strength to do it. Give us the courage to do that. Lord, may we be a church who is known, it's full of growing disciples, making growing disciples. And in the end, you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Let's go and be growing disciples, making other growing disciples.